This is the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast, where I explain how caregivers can lovingly respond to confusing or challenging behaviors and reconnect with family members living with dementia. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes and is no substitute for medical advice or care. Hello, this is Rita Jablonski, your host of Make Dementia Your Bitch. I am again recording outside and I'm hoping to do it before the thunderstorms move in. This is episode 73, Vacations, Travel, and Dementia. This is the time of year that people are planning to travel. Weddings, graduations, Mother's Day, Father's Day, family reunions, and vacations. For the past three years, travel was significantly limited, and there is a pent-up demand to reconnect with friends and family on a personal level. I am already getting loads of questions from family members about traveling with a person living with dementia. In this episode, I'm going to discuss some general tips as well as options to make travel with a person living with dementia smoother. I will conclude this episode with what to do if you, as a caregiver, want to travel or you need to travel, but you're hesitant to do so because you don't know who will take care of your family member. When you're planning any type of excursion with a person living with dementia, the first question to ask is, did the person living with dementia enjoy traveling pre-diagnosis? This may seem like a really silly question, but it is still important. I personally love to be in different places. I'm just not a big fan of the process of getting there, especially if my travel involves air travel, because every time I travel by air, it seems like something happens. In fact, my preference is train travel, but I currently live in an area where train travel doesn't really happen. So. Where I'm going with this is, if I should get to a point where I develop dementia, I might become apprehensive with travel activities because I may be going back to old memories about the process of planning and becoming anxious. Many times, we squelch our misgivings or dislikes because we know that the rewards from the final destination outweigh the hassle of getting there. When my children were young, I dreaded the annual family reunion in Sea Isle City, New Jersey. Nothing against New Jersey beaches. In fact, I love Sea Isle. At the time, I lived in Richmond, Virginia. But just the thought of coordinating ferry reservations, because we would take the Lewis Ferry into New Jersey, and that was pretty cool but we had to coordinate the ferry reservations, travel travel itineraries, and at the time, I had to coordinate breastfeeding breaks, diaper changes, potty breaks, and none of which ever happened at the same time. 
And then I had to do 90% of the packing and meal planning. Oh, and I also worked full time. I did not breathe a sigh of relief until we pulled into the driveway of the beach house. And then I had to coordinate the unpacking. My now adult children have amazing and fond memories of these trips. And when we were talking about it the other day, they were surprised to hear of my negative feelings about the actual trip. Again, I loved the destination. I just hated the logistics. If my kids were to put me in a car 30 years from now, hopefully I don't have dementia, but let's say I develop it, and my kids were to put me in a car and take me to a beach thinking they were doing a lovely thing, these old memories and anxieties may surface. I may become upset and want to go home or try to exit the car, and my kids would be puzzled. I could hear them looking at e- I could hear them saying and see them looking at each other saying, Mom always loved the ocean. Yes, mom loves the ocean. Again, she just hated the process. Some friends of mine bought an RV and began traveling all over the U.S. as soon as they retired about 15 years ago. They love this adventure. Unfortunately, one is starting to show signs of dementia. In this situation, the traveling piece is fine because she knows every inch of the RV. When they get to their destinations, though, she sometimes becomes anxious because the destinations seem unfamiliar. When you are thinking about a travel adventure, honestly figure out if traveling, both the process of traveling and the end result final destination would be pleasurable for the person living with dementia. Think about how they felt, maybe even pre-dementia. If the answer to either is no, stop. It would be better to staycation and invite friends and family to come to the person living with dementia than to travel other places. The other piece to that weighs in to your decision is considering the severity of the dementia. The ability of the person with dementia to do self-care things is a good benchmark for the severity of dementia. People who can do everything but balance checkbooks, pay bills correctly, and sensibly food shop are usually in the mild stage. Traveling and vacation should be okay, especially if the destination is somewhere familiar, like the lake house or a relative's place. Once the person living with dementia needs help preparing meals and picking out the right clothes, he or she is likely in the moderate stage. Here is where travel can get tricky. The person may wake up and forget where he or she is and try to leave. The person may fret and keep asking to go home. So the vacation is not really a vacation for the family members and it can maybe even get, feel like a nightmare. If the person living with dementia needs help going to the bathroom, it is likely that they are in the severe stage. Family restrooms are the norm at the majority of airports. They are not the norm at the majority of rest stops. This is a challenge if the caregiver is one gender and the care recipient is another. 
I had a male caregiver once use the restroom himself very quickly and in that short space of time his wife had wandered off and he was frantic. This same caregiver became very creative. He soon learned that certain grocery stores and big box stores had family restrooms. He planned his travel route based on access to specific grocery and big box stores and stopped there to access the family restrooms. To sum up, the more severe the dementia, the less likely travel may be a pleasurable experience for all concerned. Traveling takes a lot of mental energy. Persons with mild dementia tend to have more mental energy than persons with severe dementia. This is why you may see more crankiness and irritability during travel as the dementia gets worse. I'm going to take a quick break and when I return, I'll have more information. Another question to ask yourself is, what is the purpose of the trip? And a corollary to that is, how important is it for the person living with dementia to be there, to attend? Sometimes we want the person living with dementia to attend an event. Weddings, baptisms, bar mitzvahs, these are all happy and wonderful events. We want our family members to celebrate with us. I've had family members say, this may be the last time anyone sees Nana or Pop-Pop or Mom or Dad. Not true. These people can visit, but I do understand the sentiment, especially with family pictures. This may be the last time we have Nana or Mom in a wedding picture or in a family picture. The decision to attend an event really depends on the time of day, the size of the event, and the characteristics of the person living with dementia. A 100-person reception at 6 p.m. in the evening may stress out someone with even mild dementia. A brunch in a quiet restaurant with 10 people may be perfect for someone with moderate dementia. Funerals are another issue. Spouses especially should have the opportunity to say goodbye. Again, this decision is informed by the severity of the dementia and, I hate to say this, the quality of the relationship between the spouses. There are many people who stay married for 50, 60, 70 years and were happily married the whole time. There's also a set of individuals who stayed married for 50, 60, 70 years, and they were miserable the whole time. That kind of weighs into your decision about how you should progress. For example, I had a situation where I had a married couple, the wife passed, she was the caregiver, and the husband was the person with moderate dementia, and he seemed to be in and out of recalling where she was. And I suggested that the spouse with dementia attend the wake near the end and stay for the service as long as tolerated. 
And this was after a long conversation with the adult children. And it worked. They had a game plan ready. If dad became fidgety or upset, they had an exit strategy. And he had a sudden moment of clarity when he was gazing at his wife in the coffin, was able to say goodbye, and it seemed like the correct thing to do. In another case, the spouse with dementia forgot she was even married. So attending the funeral of a spouse who had faded from memory seemed cruel. And the family decided not to go that route. I have also seen family caregivers appease other family members about bringing someone to an event, even though the caregivers knew this was a bad idea. I often help the involved family caregivers with scripts to deal with well-meaning, but sometimes pushing, or rather, but sometimes pushy or ill-informed relatives. We may say it different ways, but the bottom line is that the person living with dementia may not enjoy the event and may even become stressed by the event. So in that case, it makes no sense to subject the person living with dementia to such stressors. I've had situations where the grandkids were getting married and Nana had severe dementia. And so what the grandkids did is on their way to the wedding, they stopped at the nursing home. They had some pictures taken with them and with Nana and Nana was delighted. And that seemed to satisfy Nana's desire to see them married. She didn't mention anything about going to the wedding. The decision to attend an event or to go on vacation is best made considering multiple factors. When you are dealing with someone with mild or even moderate dementia, you can ask them for their preferences, but you need to weigh their expressed preferences with their pre-dementia personalities. Because I have people who are in the moderate stage and they will say things like, yes, I would love to attend that event, but their pre-dementia personality was such that they were more of an introvert and they would only attend very small events and would become overwhelmed in big events. So you have to put that all together. Also consider your travel options, such as by car versus by plane. Determine if you can get assistance with both the travel process and care once you get to the destination. And speaking of logistics, I recently learned about a TSA service for caregivers that may be of interest to those of you traveling with people living with dementia. The program is called TSA Cares, and I have a link in the show note. But if you somehow, for whatever reason, cannot access the show note or show notes, you can Google TSA Cares and it'll take you to the place. You apply online and provide specifics for what you need at the airport, such as not separating you from your loved one with dementia, allowing them to keep their shoes and jacket on, and what TSA can specifically do to help you, such as fast-tracking you through security. You also call them the day before the flight and once you get to the airport. 
A TSA representative meets you at the ticket counter, asks a few questions, and it says that they won't arrange for a wheelchair or anything else, but the people I've talked to who've used this service have had the rep arrange a wheelchair and also get them anything else they needed without waiting for the airport staff. They even accompanied the caregivers to their gate and shared their needs with the flight crew. Unfortunately, the program is in danger of closing because not enough people are using it. So please share this information with support groups or other relatives or anybody you think would benefit from this information from the TSA CARES program. Now going back to the event, think about the size of the event, the number of people involved and other logistics like timing. A big family reunion that is held outside and all day may be a great option because it allows the person living with dementia the opportunity to move around and interact with small groups of people. Plus, because it's outside, you can move them to areas where there's less activity and less noise. And if it's all day, you even have the option of maybe going back to the hotel and taking a break or having your loved one with dementia take a nap and then going back to the family reunion. On the other hand, a medium-sized indoor wedding held in the evening may be overwhelming because of the music and the sights and the sounds are so concentrated. And it's also at a time of day when your loved one is not at his or her strongest or at his or her best. Should you decide to embark on a vacation or travel activity, consider all of the way things could go wrong and have a backup plan. For example, I always travel with spare underwear in my computer bag in case my luggage goes AWOL, plus with a few makeup essentials. It's a good idea to have a travel bag with medications, with wipes, and even small plastic trash bags and changes of underwear and clothing in case a bathroom is not easily accessible and there is an accident. And that's where the small plastic trash bag comes in. It's a place to stash the soiled clothing. If you are traveling and staying at hotels, consider purchasing a cheap door alarm in case the person living with dementia attempts to make an unplanned exit. Caregivers need respite and vacations, and I'm going to say it again. Caregivers need respite and vacation. This is not being selfish. It is fucking survival. I advise planned respite and vacations every three to four months as possible. You can deal with a day from hell if you know that in four weeks you are going to be hiking in the woods, relaxing by the pool, or laughing with friends. So I can just hear you saying, how the hell do I get a break? First, negotiate with other family members. And again, you're thinking, yeah, that hasn't worked. Well, just try this. Call up siblings and don't ask, tell. Hey, I've been caring for mom for the past year without a break. I plan to go away during the first week of June. I need you to step in during that time. Hopefully your sibling or family member steps up, but I've been doing this for a long time and I know you may get responses such as, I can't get off from work or the kids are in school. 
or blah, 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 blah. Be ready for this because here's a little trick I'm going to suggest. Before speaking with your sibling or family member for respite, call area nursing homes and ask about their respite services. Many facilities offer temporary care situations for specific time periods, ranging from weekends to several weeks. Again, this takes planning because your loved one may have to have a physical or may have to show proof of a recent TB test, but get all those ducks in a row. Also, find out the cost. This way, when you reach out to your sibling or family member who refuses, you can hit them with the price tag. Okay, I understand you can't help me out. Mom can stay at a local facility while I go away and it will cost X amount. When can I expect your payment? I know I'm coming off rather aggressively, but let's think about it. Non-involved family members get off easy. You, the actual caregiver, are paying the cost in terms of your own health, your own mental health, and your own enjoyment. And you're probably paying in terms of lost income and many other sacrifices. That's a whole different podcast. As is getting the person living with dementia into the facility for a temporary stay. Again, that's another podcast. But I really think that it is important sometimes for the primary caregiver to let the uninvolved family members know the reality of the situation. Many families don't have these types of conflicts and everybody does a good job sharing things equitably. But those people don't need this particular section of the podcast. I really want to empower those of you who are shouldering the burden. Now, if you truly are the only person who can care for that family member living with dementia, I still would strongly suggest that you look at these options for respite and also perhaps talk to an elder law attorney about even appropriately using your care recipient's resources to pay for this respite care so that you can recharge because if you are unable to care for that person, they're going to wind up in long-term care earlier than perhaps they would have. To sum up, travel should not be off the table when caring for a person living with dementia. This podcast gives you good questions to consider as well as options. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, you will likely love my book, Make Dementia Your Bitch, available on Amazon in print and Kindle. I also have a few spots open for those of you who would like to work with me individually. Working with me is an investment in your own health. I save you hours of aggravation by showing you useful, immediate ways to deal with your specific situations. Plus, I also recommend including other members of the caregiving team, other family members, friends, if you have paid help, 
on the video call so that everyone is hearing the same thing. I am not a family therapist. I will never be a family therapist. But I have personally seen situations where family members thought the primary caregiver was perhaps exaggerating or was making a big deal out of nothing. And hearing it from me and hearing the consequences of what could happen to the person living with dementia if a certain behavior or situation was not addressed pretty much gave the less involved family members or the long distance family members a up close connection with reality. And it seemed to resolve a lot of the back and forth nonsense that can occur when you have people living in different states and they're not living the day-to-day experience. If you are interested, please email me and we can set up a no obligation 15 minute call to see if we would be a good fit. And one last announcement on Monday, the first Monday of March, March 6th at 6 p.m. Central, I will be having my monthly free webinar. I will start out with maybe a 15-minute presentation. I haven't yet decided on the topic. If anybody has a topic they would like me to address, please feel free to email me. The email is below, rita.jablonski at gmail.com. And I'll have about a 15-minute presentation, and then I will open up the microphones for people to ask me their specific questions. The link to the free webinars are in the show notes. You can also go to DementiaCentricSolutions.com and there is a tab where the webinar schedule is. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you are enjoying it, please recommend it to other people because that's how people learn. Feel free to rate and review. I really appreciate those of you who are doing that. And together, we're going to make dementia our bitch. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so other dementia caregivers can find this podcast. If you are a caregiver for someone with dementia and need help understanding and dealing with these behaviors, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Make Dementia Your B, or email me, info at makedementiayourbitch.com.